Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Colin Ray Jackson CBE. No strange name in the middle there. Often strange names in the middle there. Born the 18th of February 1967 in Cardiff, Wales. Um, what was like uh, life for you growing up in Cardiff? Absolutely heaven. Um, I was one of these kind of mischievous little boys and I loved being in in, in so much open space. Um, I had lots of woodlands around me. So I spent many of the years with friends and, and, and family playing games, literally playing games, jumping streams, seeing who could run the fastest between lampposts, playing bulldogs. I spent a lot of time enjoying being in Wales. So it was a, it was a really special time for me that's for sure your dad Ozzy and your mum mm. Angela they come from the Caribbean your mum's mm. a nurse your dad yeah my father was a, a, a we kind of called him a sales supervisor um, for uh, he was a um it was like an air conditioning company called New Air. Um, and they were fantastic, actually, as a, as a little company for him to work with as well. So, yeah, we had a, a great stable background. OK, and you've got one sister, and I'm sorry to say, I've never made the connection, but, of course, once the research for this programme... I mean, it may be... It's just possible, Colin, that in your own house... You're not the most famous person. Is that possible? <laughs> yeah, it, it is it's very, very, very true. I mean, my sister's been on the TV every Saturday night for, for 10 or 11 years now. Your sister in casualty. Is, yeah. is the actress Suzanne uh, Packer, yeah. um, who plays Tess Bateman in Casualty. Before that, she was Josie in Brookside. In Brookside yeah. she's, been, she's been on, I mean, you're on television quite a lot. I mean, you can't get your face off the television. But she's on every every weekend for the past 25 years. And it's of course, scary. Once, once I realised this fact, excuse me, and saw her, uh, it would be yeah, impolite to say she looks just like you. Let's just say you look just like her, yeah? Because yeah, she's older than me. That's the reason why we're saying that. We'll keep that between us, right? <laughs> but, are, are you uh, yeah, close? Oh, we're very close. Yeah. Absolutely. And very, competitive very about TV time and no, all that? No, never, ever, ever. I think one of the things we, we, we've never been ever is competitive about anything um, I take a lot of advice from my sister I think she's most probably the wisest person on this planet so I respect her highly well, that's, so. very, that's good luck for you isn't it yeah I, I, I think so um, and you know she'd be one of the people I would choose as a friend and so I'm lucky that she's actually my sister too right. so it's a nice relationship that we have has she ever given you advice about your um, work on the television always always and some of the key things is is how to present things how to learn scripts etc etc okay. et because so she's been, been doing useful, it for a long yeah. time yeah. not just coming so in just to say, just to say do, you, do your shirt off <laughs> oh no 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 no. she would never say that because no. she knows I'll tell her off but uh, yeah but the, you know the, the real practical hands on stuff it's brilliant to have a coach literally mm. next year 
What about um, a sport? Because I think uh, you just mentioned that you're a very active child. Mm. I mean, hil- hilarious now that a generation on, we have to organise TV events in order to get kids to be active. Um, but I think it is actually a problem in society now, not yeah. for you. Um, I take it, um, given that um, we saw, I saw a thing about a biopsy that on your body and you've got 25% oh, yeah. twitch fibres, uh, fast yeah, twitch yeah. fibres, yeah. way above the human norm. Um, I would take you were very good at sports school. I was all right. Yeah, yeah. I was all right. Yeah, no, the fast twitch muscles is, is quite funny because I have... Um, 25% extra, like more super, they call it super fast stretch muscles, which gives me, apparently give me an advantage. I have no idea what they're talking well, about. Been, well, I would think you'd be very good at jumping and it turns <laughs> out you were pretty good at jumping. I was yeah. pretty good at that. But sport was my life, I must admit, from 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 the early days. I loved running, I loved jumping. Did you anything. bother at school? Yes, I had no choice. Um, there was a time when um, I was not really concentrating too much on my schoolwork, and my mother stopped me doing all my sport. So I spot on. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Of course, you must encourage your kids to do sport as well. But mm. but the number of people who sat in that chair where you're sat now and just told me, oh, I didn't bother at school, mm. and they've all done very well in their own field. And then mm. you ask them the question very quietly, 20 minutes later, do you regret not doing well at school? And over half of them just say, of course I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm sitting here. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing I most probably regret the most uh, of my school days was that I didn't take languages seriously never did I think I would spend so much time traveling around the world yeah. it would have been so much handier to, to learn French and Spanish and German but that's nothing to do with age. you or the schools that's, that's this country isn't it we just don't I mean we have the, yeah. the un- unbelievable good luck of, you know, the, yeah of course the, the light of good luck shines on us that we, yeah. we speak English to start with but uh, that is pure chance isn't it yeah absolutely did you have were you one of these people who had athletics heroes or sports heroes yeah Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Don Quarry was mine from Great uh, Jamaican because, Sprinter. Jamaican Sprinter. Because I, I remember absolutely my parents screaming at the TV when he was racing at the Olympic Games. 72 and 76, yeah. yeah. And, and I was thinking, what were they screaming at? And I could see the effect that his successes were having on them. And I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind a bit of that. So uh, it was great to have him as a, an initial kickoff as a role model. And then once I started getting into the sport a little bit more, there was only one man for me, and it was Daley Thompson. Okay. I mean, you're, you're starting with a big personality there, aren't you? Yeah. I love the fact that he'd won everything. Um, I think that was the key factor. He'd won everything, he achieved everything, uh, but he still had a little bit of an edge about him, which I absolutely uh, adored. His cheeky smile always won it for me. You you played cricket for, mm. for, for Glamorgan yeah. uh, at age uh, at school. Mm. Um you did all kinds of uh, long jump, hurdles, mm-hmm. high jump, even the javelin. Um, yeah. Why did you, in the end, why did you choose athletics and why, how did you become a hurdler? Okay, the reason I, I chose athletics is simple. I was very lazy. Uh, there was an athletics and a cricket match exactly on the same day. And um, one was for Clamorgan, the other one was for, for Cardiff, the city. And um, the athletic competition was literally five minutes walk from my house. And the actual cricket match was a three hour drive. So I decided I'm taking the walk. And I never played cricket ever, ever, ever again. Do you regret that? No. (laughs) I I see you've got a piece of paper with a couple of my uh, medals I've won now. I I don't think I I could ever regret it. (laughs) No, the danger, as I say, I'm going to tell you now this, so warn the listeners, the danger, this this could become, it seems unlikely given that your personality, um, it could become a rather boring programme. So we just talked about the medals you've won. Of course, you are, let's be honest, Colin, you've won more medals than any other British athlete, um, gold, silver and bronze across, uh, I mean, it it gets into the mid-20s. So we can't just do every race that you... uh, came first or second in um, at all. Yeah, it would be dull. Um, let, me, let me ask you one more question before we uh, we uh, to take a, li- a little time off. Um, you had to, 
very early in this piece, you chose to be coached by a man called Malcolm Arnold, mm. who is a phenomenally. But you made that choice as a teenager. How did you? How did 15, that come about? Fifteen. Yeah, I, I, I saw him in a, it, right in the middle of a, of a corridor, and somebody pointed me out and saying, "This guy's the national coach for Wales, and uh, if you really want to do anything, it's this guy you should speak to." And I thought, well. He didn't look really all that, but if people are giving me good advice, then I, I'll go and see him. So I went over and I introduced myself to him, and uh, he, he really didn't say that much, if I was <laughs> I'm totally honest. I didn't think he expected too much from me. Um, so, yeah, and we just worked together forever and ever. Amen. Well, hopefully, uh, the miracle of radio will allow us to speak to Malcolm a little later on, but uh, you, you, you actually, I mean, we're, this is the, the world before athletes were earning a full-time living, mm. and just from saying, I'm an athlete, give me a grant, yeah. um, you, you had a job. I had to. Uh, I trained to be an electrician, funny enough. Um, two of my uncles were electricians, and I right. kind of liked their lifestyle. And I thought to myself, I think I'll be able to train up uh, and be an, an electrician myself. So, um, What do you mean you like their lifestyles? Well, they seem to be living a quite nice life. They seem to be going on holidays yeah. left, right, and centre. I thought, well, this seems okay. to work. So uh, yeah. I thought, <laughs> yeah, let's uh, give myself a little bit of a trade and, and give me, I guess, a bit of a fighting chance out there. Okay, and because uh, you know what, obviously you didn't know you were going to be the success you no, turned out to all. be. But at 18, you make the decision to become a full-time athlete, to mm. quit the athletics. Um, you've already talked about your family, and um, clearly you had a very happy upbringing, you know, close, and your sister is the wisest woman in the world. What did yeah. they say when you said, I'm, I'm packing this in now to become an athlete? Uh, they weren't particularly happy, um, especially when my parents were like, are you sure you could do this? Because you can imagine in, in in those days, they didn't have professional track and field athletes. So what do you mean you're going to give up your work to actually try and do well at this sport? And uh, they gave me a deadline and they said that by the age of 21, um, if, if you've made it, then that's fantastic. But if you haven't, at least it gives you the opportunity to go back in, into the world play. So they decided that they were going to fund me and look after me. They supported you, did they? Yeah. It's yeah. fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. They didn't need to for very long, though. No, no. <laughs> Luckily for them. <laughs> no, no, quite. I mean, um, and what did, what did Malcolm, did Malcolm Arnold, um, your your coach, having yeah. having joined you, did, did he encourage you in this? No. He wanted me to continue <laughs> in yeah. my career as well to make sure that I had something to fall back on. Sure. Um, for the plain reason. I mean... They, they were looking after me for my livelihood. Yeah. You know, They were unsure what I could do. Nobody really knew what I was like, whether I was going to be able to uh, adapt to training, whether I was going to enjoy it. So it was a huge risk for, 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 for them and me, I guess. Okay. Um, there was also, I think, one last question about because you were such an all-rounder. Mm. There was some talk about you being a decathlete yes. at one stage. Now, you've already said I was lazy, so I'm <laughs> beginning to think that's probably not a starter. I loved it because decathlon for me was like play. So um, I was like, yeah, let's just play with all these sports and all these different events. But um, I was very injury-prone as well when I was young and because I, I would suffer from little aches and pains and because I'm quite short for an athlete. Um, and because of that, then decathlon could not be well, for me. Well, compared to some of the hurdlers who you had to compete against and have... Certainly, the ones who come along since you're pretty short. Yeah, not a small. Although you're not built for throwing for the throwing events, really. I have a very fast arm. Oh, and I was right. very good technically. Okay. So because I, I I could get a grasp of the technique quite quickly, you know, with a little bit of strength training, I could get it a reasonable way. You don't have to throw it very far. I'm determined not to let this show just wander off into mad tributaries because we've got so much to get through. But I have to ask you, Jessica Ennis, yeah. obviously the, the best uh, uh, decathlete in the world. Um, we, we saw that at the Olympics. Um, people, I mean, and she is she is a tiny little person. She's tiny. Yeah. She she people t tell me they think that she can really hurdle fast. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, she's a record holder for that already. And... I mean, do you think if she was to concentrate on the hurdles, how fast could she go? Do you think? 
Well, I think her heptathlon preparation really helps her um, with the, with the hurdling itself. Okay. So if she kind of took away half of the training, whether you know, and adapted to the hurdles, she may not absolutely. Go <laughs> you think you're suspicious she's going to be as she's as quick as she's going to be? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh, right, okay. um, but what I think she should do is have a go at the 400 meter hurdles. Right. She's very good at the sprint hurdles, and she's got a great 200 and 800 meter speed. So I think if she coupled the two of them, Sally Gunnell's uh, British record could be an, uh, under threat. And and there, of course. Um, her lack of physical stature is slightly less of an issue, isn't it? Absolutely, because yeah. she's sh- short and so are the hurdles. Yeah. <laughs> They're in scale then, aren't they? Listen, let's let's talk about, I mean, you're, you're, your gamble of, of leaving your, your mm. trade, uh, you're right, it didn't take long before you started to pay <laughs> off for you because um, you really made very quick progress, yeah. Colin, and I think that's fair to say. Um, so I should ask you about the, I mean, the, the first time you competed against seniors was the 1985 European Indoor Championships in Athens, of course, yeah. 60 metres. Yeah. First, yeah. let me ask you about that. Um, 60 metres hurdles, it's one of the most hilarious events because it, um, it, it's over very quickly yeah. and you still got to do all that technical stuff. Do you I, like running indoors? I hated it. I absolutely hated it for that sole reason because you're still under a lot of pressure. Um, you take the very first hurdle, you've only got four left and <laughs> people are around you, it's crowding you, it's busy. Oh, goodness gracious. And I always used to get persuaded to get in there and run it. Hated them. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you remember about Athens then and running it that one? Well, bizarrely enough, it was the first um, championships you said I went in as a senior and it was the only only championships where I, I never made a final as a senior. It was the only one in Athens. And I I, I, I remember reflecting... And Fifth out of six in the semi-finals. Yeah. That's in my copious notes. Looking down at the final race where Nigel Walker from Great Britain and uh, John Ridgeon from Great Britain were lining up. And I was thinking to myself, see, I should be in that final. And I thought, Ridgeon never is, do Ridgeon's that five days old you, so you're yeah. exactly contemporary with him, yeah, aren't absolutely. you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Nigel, Nigel was, was Welsh, yeah? Welsh. Was he like, trained yeah. with me. I was in the same training group yeah. as Nigel. So and did he go on to play rugby well? as well at a very high level? Well. Yeah. He, he was a wing for Wales. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that is a brilliant career, isn't it? I it wasn't get, bad, I'm, actually. I must get him in the studio, because that's a great story, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it's very rare. Yeah. Uh, very, very rare, especially of Vanessa's training partners. We, we were trying to persuade him not to do rugby, funny enough. Fifth in the semi-final, mm. in which one of the people makes the final is an exact contemporary, we'll hear more about John Ridge as yeah. this programme goes on. Um, I, in my notes, it says here that you were humiliated. Is that the right word, you think? Yeah, I, I kind of felt so, yeah, because I, I really thought that I was as good as John at that time and I'm thinking there's only you know tiny millimeters between us uh, performance wise and um I thought I will never ever ever feel like this again so I will not <laughs> be sitting in a stand when a major hurdle final is is taking place so uh, that was my very last time and you know what um and we'll, we'll, we'll hear about the, uh, the uh, an injury affected semi-final you never lost another semi-final in your long long I mean, in the end <laughs> it went on forever your career but you know um that's before the dancing started we could not pry you off the television screen colin um you you won your first major medal um in the 110 meters european junior championships in Cottbus in East mm, Germany mm, mm. Um, where you equal the Welsh national record um, yeah. I think John Ridgeon beat you there as yes, well yes he did yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, in a danger so do I, I need to skip forward if I may um, to the World Junior Championship the following year in Athens yeah. in in in, uh, in 86 yeah. um, where you you continue to improve but I suppose by the time you go there you're favourite to win aren't you is that fair? yeah I, I had a, a strange um, winter because obviously I'd run very well the previous year but I was beaten by John so um, and I was going to the World Junior Championships and he was going to be at the World Junior Championships also so there's going to be another head to head it was going to be very competitive it, sorry, I, should make, I should tell the listeners for those of them who are not quite as nuts about athletics as I am yeah. the World Junior and European Junior Championships are very important because unlike say in football where the people in the under 21 team don't always come through mm. to play in the 
in, in the seniors. Mm. What goes on in the junior world junior athletics yeah. and Europe, it tends to be two years later, they are the gold yeah, medalists in yeah. the Olympics and the World Championship. It's just Absolutely. the way it is, isn't it? I yeah. mean, Usain Bolt was, was winning world junior titles when yeah. he was 15. So, yeah. oh, we all oh, know he is yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, yes, we do. He's the saviour of global athletics. It's exactly what he is. We'll get to that. Yeah, it's exactly what he is. He's a superstar. But, um, yeah, I, I knew it was very important that I, I performed well. But again, it was one of these things when injury was kind of just getting the better of me at the just at the wrong moment, unfortunately. Um, but I lined up in there knowing I was capable of running very, very quickly indeed. And uh, uh, when I actually won that title, uh, I was so pleased. And when I saw the clock as well, I'd taken John's European junior record, which uh, did put a big smile on my face also. It just meant that I was uh, the Britain's number one. In, indeed you were and um, it means you're going to the next year and we come up against two things here your Welshness <laughs> and a man called Mark McCoy yeah, uh, yeah. Canadian gentleman yeah. who uh, um, turns out to be your lifelong friend training yeah. partner all the rest of it first of all in the 86 Commonwealth Games were in Edinburgh yep. and you represented Wales yes. as people do and that's one of the wonderful things about the Commonwealth Games the, the, the GB team and Divides your team breaks brilliant. up into yeah. four parts I mean uh, there's no reason why you should be especially proud of being Welsh or, or not I'm just wondering where you stand on, on your Welshness I enjoyed being Welsh because it, it gives you something a little bit different it's a little bit more of an edge um, and I always used to think that people should know that I'm Welsh more than I'm English because they would always presume I was English so when anybody presumed something I would just wanted to remind them actually you're wrong I am Welsh well, so once, I once, once they hear and they should put in an accent on once they hear that I guess they're, they're going to make a pretty wild guess aren't they absolutely so it's great so I, yeah. I always loved representing Wales as always, you, and always. you were—you uh, have been the uh, the Welsh Sports Personality of the Year yeah. three times in your life. Um, I, in many ways, I'm surprised as little as that. But of course, this year in particular, you'd be struggling to get to get into the top three. It's been incredible. an incredible year between incredible. Gareth Bale, um, Nathan Cleverley, yeah. the no. Welsh rugby team. I could go on and on yeah. and on. It's been incredible. It's been. Unbelievable! The open top bus must be worn out <laughs> down there in Cardiff. We've only got there. one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of you, you don't usually need more than no, one, exactly. do you? And, it's and very often small. it stays in the garage for a whole long time. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's been a sensational time for Welsh sport. And for me, what I've loved a, a, about it because it, it really sport is something that really can unify people, and, and and it can give people a real sense of pride when people that you live next door to have been so successful on a global scale or even a national scale. It, it makes a huge difference to the just the the general temperament and feel of a nation so it's been pretty sensational I have no idea who's going to be Welsh team of the year is it going to be Cardiff for going up Swansea for winning the cup the, us with, uh, the Welsh team winning the, the <laughs> Six the, the, Nations the who is it going to be? Newport. Yeah, of course. Getting, getting back, back to the in. league after a quarter I, of a century. I mean, what? Who? It's just they, unbelievable, gonna, isn't it? I, I would cancel that event for this year <laughs> just because uh, you're going to look churlish out of which way you turn. <laughs> I mean, and you, you, you've you got a silver in those Commonwealth Games behind a yeah, man called yeah, Mark, Mark McCoy. Tell Because he is going to play a big part in your life. Tell mm. us about Mark. Yeah, no, Mark was one of these cool characters. You know, he'd go on the line. He was always mm. chewing gum. He just was just super cool. Um, but he was also very, very talented. He was a great sprinter. And... Uh, I just love watching what he was doing technically, how he worked out. It, it was just brilliant. But certainly, the, but those games, I knew he was definitely the man. Uh, you know, there was nothing I could do. I just had to watch, admire, and think, okay, one day I'll be as good as him. Um, and he went on. He set a new championship record, and I came home second. I can't complain. With how him. did you come to be, and in the end, his his um, his training partner? Did he come to these islands? Or <laughs> yeah, do you know yeah. this is a bizarre story. Um, my sister, he gave me a card um, of his when he was competing in London, 
for one of the Grand Prix. And my sister was going to work on tour in, in Toronto. So I gave um, my sister his card. And she rang up this number. Um, she's bold. Yeah, well, this, this, she's, uh, she's an actress, right? Yeah, no fearless, problem, yeah. right? So she rang up Mark's number. He was not in that office. And somebody heard, overheard the conversation who said, I know where he is. This is Cal, take that call. They took the call. And they got in contact with Mark. So it was really a truncated route of getting there. Uh, eventually, my sister then met up with him. They went out, they hang out, they had a good laugh and joke. My sister said, you should come back to Britain and train with Colin. And Mark was like, well, OK, well, if he doesn't mind. So he rang. He's said, easily led, isn't he? Absolutely. <laughs> See what women can do? Yeah. <laughs> and then Lexi, you know, he's turning up at the airport and there we go. He's trained with us for forevermore, as it seemed. OK, well, listen, you've got that silver medal for Wales. And I think um, we're getting into uh, not the air of professional athletics yet, but uh, I think you've got an upgrade in your sponsored car from a Ford Orion to a Ford Sierra. Now you're living. Uh, absolutely. And in those days, you know, I was chocolate. You can imagine I was a 19-year-old boy. And boy, oh boy, my car, the wheels were, were just brilliant to have at that stage. Are you bothered about cars? Um, I would say no. Right. But everybody else would say Look what you've owned. And I was thinking, oh, well, perhaps here. Yeah, and to use that. the jargon and what are you driving today? Uh, I drive a Jaguar car. Okay, I good for, good for you. Yeah. But I want to talk about the 87 World Championships mm. in Rome. I'll, I mean, I'll just give out the result, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Jonathan Ridgen beat you. Mm-hmm. So he's back now beating you. Absolutely. Um, and you, But you both finished behind, I mean, a truly great man. Greg Foster was a great, great man. I've never met him. I don't know what kind of human being he is, but just watching him monster his way over those hurdles. I, I, something about his whole... <laughs> Something about his, his appearance makes you think he's probably a very good guy as well. I don't know. <laughs> he's a man mountain. That is, yeah, yeah. and and he was very good technically as well. If you wanted to watch somebody technically over the bar, you you could uh, learn a lot from Greg. But yeah, it was the World Championships. It was 1987, and I was listening with the beginning of that season again was ravaged by lots of injury problems, and I was literally living on aspirin and paracetamol going into those championships because I had a, a really bad problem with a hamstring insertion and. I, I could never get any fluency in my running. And so I was surprised so as many why, other people why, Hang on, were. Why, why aspirin? Because that's what you're allowed to take, is that it? But basically, yeah, yeah. one for pain and one for anti-inflammatory. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> so, yeah, so you kind of combine the, the, the two. But um, it, was, it, was a tough, it was a tough time. Uh, and I didn't expect to win to win a bronze medal there at all um, because I knew my season was, was, was so affected by, by injury. But um, to announce yourself... Yeah, in the world of sport, with, with all due respect to, to winning a uh, for, you know a medal for Wales in the Commonwealth, mm. this is you saying here I am now on the on the world stage. Absolutely, and of course it changes things like financially. I think you, you suddenly away. start getting a load of appearance money and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, straight away, straight away. It's 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 instant in in, in the world of athletics. So if, as soon as you become a, a global medalist, you go from like eight hundred pound a race to nearly five thousand straight away. Uh, and you can which if you're a sprinter and can turn thing. out quite often, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. And when you think of what the money status was in those days because we're talking about 1987 oh. so you know £5,000 was a lot of money and, uh, especially for me as a 20 year old who two years ago was still at school <laughs> yeah but it, it's still not Mo Farah getting three quarters of a million to not even finish the race is it though let's be honest yeah but he's working a lot harder than I was right <laughs> that is very fair to say I mean that, that's 87 which takes us then I mean you arrive in 1988 yeah. and the Seoul Olympics you're 21 years of age you're arguably um one of the best in the world, yeah. and you've got both this Olympics 
and a whole range of Olympic Games ahead of you to yeah. become Olympic champion. Um, you've also taken up here, if that's the right word, with Linford Christie. Yes. Um, you shared a room. What, why Were Linford and you put together or did you choose Linford? No, it was bizarre because there was always this little London thing that was going on down here. And Linford was kind of a West London boy. So he was isolated on his own. The re- the real, the hub of, of, of sprinting was from North London. So he was literally isolated. So you know, I was Welsh and so I was isolated. So it was that's two the, boys yeah, were isolated Wales together. Is, there it, you go. West London is nearer to Wales than <laughs> North London. That's just, that's just that's just loony, isn't it? Who were the, North, who were the North Londoners who wouldn't let him play nicely? Well, it'd be people like Mike McFarlane with it, in yeah. Ritson, um, Don Reed. Um, yeah. So they were all from one group. Yeah, Tottenham, up They were the... The, the real deal put it that way and um, they had held the, the powerhouse of uh, British sprinting all that time until Linford came along tell us about the Olympics in Seoul then did you brilliant it absolutely loved it um, it was my very first Olympic Games and the whole had culture had you been to Asia before never so it was the culture <laughs> yeah. that really really came alive for yeah, me until you go to Japan or or Korea for the first time you think you're a traveller and then you, yeah. if you're from an English speaking part of the world and you go down and there's not a word of English no, anywhere unbelievable it's frightening it was, yeah, it was really brilliant. unbelievable and I, and I just loved the excitement the vibrancy the busyness of, of this whole new culture that I was experiencing so um, the, to go to the Olympic Games was a nice byproduct, really of, of experiencing a brand new culture um how did you get on this thing? How, uh, look back on you, you. You won a silver medal. Silver medal again behind Roger Kingdom. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I, Roger was the main man. He was already the Olympic champion, and uh, we were all looking at what he could do. But he, he ran, uh, you know, very well. Twelve ninety eight. He won that title with, and I came home in thirteen twenty eight with a silver medal. And I was excited about that because I was the second fastest in the world. So I thought I should come home with a silver anyway. Um, but I just wanted to have it. You know, you need to own that medal yeah. and uh, get my very first Olympic. Silver was a special time for me. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Kingdom used to sing. Before the races. It was terrible. Roger always used to sing, always skipping along and, and looking at us all. And, and his favourite tune was, we're off to see the wizard, the wonderful <laughs> wizard of Oz. And, and I can remember what an extraordinary it, choice. I know. 
we're off to see the. I can re- Except, of course, he's not like doing a pop song and trying to be cool. He knows that everyone knows this, so you know how relaxed he is because yeah. everybody knows that's a sitting in front of the television yeah. watch, watching a film song, isn't it? Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's exactly right. And, off to see and, the wizard. Yeah, it was brilliant. And, you know, and I, and I looked at him and sometimes I thought, I would like to plant this chair right over your head here. Now, let us all concentrate and focus. But, uh, no, Roger was extraordinary. I'm going to ask you a question now before we get Malcolm Arnold, your genius coach, up in just a second. Yeah. You're 21 years of age. You've yep. got a silver medal. It's a big silver medal. The mm. Olympic medal is quite large. It's in, in the yeah. palm of your hand. It's like you could eat your dinner <laughs> off it. Yeah. If I'd said to you then, Colin, you'll never win another Olympic medal. What would, what I would you have you? said to me? I would have said to you, get away. <laughs> no way. I'm 21. Of course I'm going to win another, at least and another, another two. And, another. and one of them will be a gold. So I have no worries about that. So I would never, ever have thought that, uh, that I'd only have a silver. Because as well as being the, the most successful championship runner we've ever had from this country, and just a pile of medals indoors and out, and part of this story is that you don't go on to win an Olympic gold medal. And uh, we'll talk about that a little later on. Um, you're smiling about it now. I bet there have been times when that smile wasn't quite so broad. Um, we should talk about Seoul and about you as a young runner and um, with a man who saw you through all 18 years. My God, he's got some patience. Probably, he probably had 20 years with you um, as your coach. The great Malcolm Arnold joins us on the line now. Hello, Malcolm. Hello there, how are you? Very, very good indeed. <laughs> and more to the point, um, it's good to see that you're still uh, alive and kicking after 20 years of listening to Colin Jackson going on. Well, all I've got of his career left now is white hair. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I, I, I'm joining you down that road soon, Mal. I still have some hair and it's getting whiter yeah. by the moment. I, I'm and telling you're getting you. fatter as well, I see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything. Tell, both those things are very fashionable, let me tell you. <laughs> Um, Malcolm, uh, just we've been talking about Roger Kingdom, and uh, we'll, we'll go on to talk about some other great hurdlers. But let's get this into into perspective. Um, after under your tuition, how great a hurdler was Colin Jackson? How great did he become? Well, that's simple to answer, really, isn't it? His record speaks for itself, which is very outstanding. Simple as that. Well, we'll come on to his world records indoors and out in a little while. Why? Why was he so brilliant? Um. Well, obviously, to begin with, he's physically very talented. Um, and I always used to say to him, for me, it always comes from heredity. Yeah. And I always used to say to him, every time you see your mum and dad, say thank you, because uh, um, he had good parents, in, well, he has good parents still, <laughs> in many ways. And uh, one of the things he inherited from them was, was good physical qualities. And then... Um, once he, Colin realised he was good at what he was doing, um, he he was very mature in his outlook in um, working hard, knowing what he wanted and and how to get there. And um, obviously, I helped in that process as well. So it, it was uh, when you work with good athletes, then it it's an easier task uh, than you know than working with not so good athletes. So it was good good to work with. Do you know what's interesting about Malcolm? Malcolm says, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, that. But he's an outstanding coach. Um, yeah. To be able to Hang translate on, how do you know? You've never had any other. Well, no, 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 no. The way, <laughs> yeah, I did, actually, yeah. But it's the way you, you, you get your message across to the athlete. And it's not just the way that you got the message across to me. I mean, this man has won 66 major medals across the board. I've only won a couple of them for yeah. him. So he's got to be able to, uh, to translate his knowledge and, and give it on. And I think for us, where I was lucky, um, was that I found Malcolm. Uh, um, Malcolm, earlier on, Colin described himself as lazy. I have a suspicion that can't be true if you're going to be a, a world-class at a technical event. 
Well, if I say anything more good about him, I want to know where to send the invoice as well. Is that OK? <laughs> well, not to this radio station, that's for sure. You might try his other employers, but not here. Yeah. yeah. He's, um, what was your question? Sorry. Yeah, was <laughs> Is he lazy? lazy? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, he, he may... To become a, a good athlete, or to become a good performer in any sport, you uh, nowadays you need talent. Uh, once, once upon a time, when I was young, a thousand years ago, talent was good enough to get you anywhere. But nowadays, um, so many people work hard at it, um, and sadly, so many people take illegal shortcuts as well. That to do it properly and to do it legally and so on, you have to have talent and you have to work damned hard as well. So he, he may have been lazy in certain areas, uh, but um, it, there were, as far as track and field was concerned, there was none that I observed. Well, Malcolm, it's been an absolute joy to talk to you. And I, on, on behalf of Grateful Nation, thank you for taking Colin Jackson in hand and producing all those medals for us. Uh, it was difficult, but we, we survived in the end. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. Yeah, that's the, thank you. That's the great Malcolm Arnold. And we'll talk more about what this, the aftermath of Seoul in just a second we talked about the Olympics in Seoul and in mm. fact you got your silver medal and you shared a room with Linford Christie this might be a time to talk about what happened to Linford at the end of those Olympics obviously it's the Ben Johnson race isn't it absolutely and let's be absolutely frank about it I think and including Linford I want to be honest about this seven of the eight finishers in that race have now in some way have been implicated over the years with some kind of drugs irregularities well if you remember uh, that race um, when Ben Johnson crossed the line first he ran a magnificent time 979 and we were all his like, body still ran that time we've got yeah. to be honest about that haven't yeah, we he still ran 979 and that, that doesn't come easy he still had to work very hard to do that uh, and then when the news broke we were all gobsmacked because y you have a an idea you know you see somebody and you see what their performance and you look at their body structure and you think to yourself that's enormous he developed, had changed surely. shape hadn't he massive in the same way that Dwayne Chambers who, with all due respect him very talented yeah, guy he changed shape and you think why are you changing shape in the middle of your career yeah, yeah yeah it looked very strange to us yeah. and the performances kind of told us something was going on right so with that in mind we were we weren't surprised that he got busted um but it was like he still got busted. We could not believe this. Olympic champion. The big star of the Olympic Games. We all knew he was a massive head-to-head -head with uh, with Carl Lewis. Um, so we were all literally gobsmacked. And then, uh, I'm not sure if people kind of remember then, then Linford had that little bit of an issue with yeah. um, Jinseng yeah. yeah. due to the time. And he himself was absolutely mortified when he was going through that process. Um, especially when they really, he gave him the bottle of what he was taking. They tested and said, well, that is what was in your urine. And he said, well, I didn't quite understand then why you're absolutely drilling me <laughs> so much in this circumstance. So it was an interesting time, 1980. I think it was a, a real turnaround for when we started to really fight drugs in a different way. Well, do you suspect there was much? I mean, you don't hear about so many of the of the hurdlers. T t fail. No. Do hurdlers fail drugs tests? I, I, I can't think I'm, of. I'm trying to think of any of the great hurdlers. But, is, but it's bizarre because you're essentially doing much the same training, aren't you? Yeah, sprinting. I think it's because you, you you can't be really that big. You still got to have you got to be like gazelle like because you you you've got to jump. Roger Kingdom, notwithstanding. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. he was really came from the world of discus throwing, so he's slightly, yeah. he's slightly. He made an excellent sort of cruiserweight boxer, wouldn't he, Roger? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He did get his. Yeah, he did get you, his. You don't need to be. You, you don't need to be taking any extra muscle off the ground. Yeah, you, you don't want to be doing that. No. So you 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 want to be as light as felt light as you possibly can. So a nimble on your feet. So perhaps. Perhaps that's a that's a reason why, or your focus is slightly different, or you can always get lots of ways to improve 
because it's a technical event. Yeah, it's not so just about it's not a raw flying, power. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. perhaps that's what plays uh, to our advantage as well. We've already heard, of course, uh, earlier on that you upgraded to a Ford Sierra. Did your life change after the, after the Olympics <laughs> in Seoul? Um, yeah, I was far more recognised. I I, I I enjoyed being a, around everybody, and um, I really then felt felt part of like a real group. You know, as a group of elite athletes, Olympians, that and I'd won a medal. It was fantastic. Um, and I was looking, really looking forward to the future. But also I wanted to know what I was going to do, where I was going to go, what direction I was going to, to really go in. Because it was four years before I could do anything else at the Olympic Games. And there's lots of bits and bobs in between, but it's still the Olympic Games is in your mind. You still have uh, things to do. You need to win major gold medals. You need to crack 13 seconds for mm. your event, which is the equivalent, I guess. People say it's the equivalent of 10 seconds in the 100 metres. I'm not sure that anymore. No, it's, it's I think it's, it's like nine and a half seconds, <laughs> yeah. really, isn't it? It is tougher to go under 13 it, seconds. Absolutely. Because, yeah, yeah. well, look, only so, so few people have done it even yeah. now. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If no you're, if you're doing you. it now, you're in line for a medal. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's absolutely. no doubt. Um, yeah, it's a tough old thing to go there. Because you can imagine, it's, um, it's hurdling is formatted for you. So it's either seven or eight strides the first hurdle three strides in between and then four strides to the finish and that is it so you've got to try and work on your speed and your technique to improve time and that's what makes it so difficult or to get those big, big you can work on your fantastic dip across the line <laughs> in which you are the un, un, undisputed <laughs> all-time champion once you went underneath the laser timer as i recall i would say 70 percent of my races i go under the photo finish yeah, yeah. and you know the, the clock would stop at like 13 5 and you yeah. go in no way is that 13 5 it's so much better than that yeah, and yeah I, I used to find that quite funny actually <laughs> yeah it is it just is. proves how flexible i was indeed <laughs> um so th um let's talk about the 1990 commonwealth games again representing wales yeah. in auckland we um we associate athletics even in london the sun shone my recollection is that that was one of the coldest looking places on earth it was perishing it was about 11 or 12 degrees i can remember oh gosh um but it was again me really just uh, keeping my level of uh, my real world-class level in people's mind um i ran 13.08 which was a new championship record um it was one of the fastest well, the second fastest time in the world but it was also stamping your authority really on, lovely on the tony jarrett of england uh, was second bless yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry tony every time i got a gold tony got the silver yeah. so it was um yeah it, it was a good time because we, we we still felt very much a, a team it was a real unifying moment for us all and we, we enjoyed getting on the rostrum together high fives and it's just like old times um well actually you know you you the european championships in split yeah the same um year. you won in uh, sorry yeah you you, you did 1318 yeah, in to, the, win uh, to win there with tony jarrett second, yeah, second, yeah, second, yeah. Yeah. Tony. um <laughs> it says in your in a book that i've read about that you wrote that you actually after that although it all seems like triumph and waving at the tv cameras you went into the, afterwards that race and cried yeah i was oh. in so much pain and so much stress um i had a, a knee problem that i was worried about and i didn't think i was going to get through the race and I, I I think I finished third um, or fourth in the semi-final. So I literally scraped into the final. That's why I was in one of the outside lanes. And uh, I was in dire, dire, dire problems. And Malcolm literally talked me into racing because I was going to pull out. But he talked me into racing and um, the doctors strapped me up. And I thought, I've got one shot at this and I better make it a good one. Um, and I just did 
whatever came natural and I hung on in there and just took the title and what I mean just took it just I won by 300 uh, in front of Tony so it was a very very close race okay well that brings us around then to um, the glory days are still to come don't worry we're going to start breaking world records up in a minute but I want to get into because we've got some t- a few minutes to get into the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona mm. You were the fastest man in the world by then. Mm. You wouldn't break the world record, but you would be the fastest man in the field. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the day after what we talked about in Seoul, where you're now established, you're part of the athletics um, fraternity, you're a well-known figure, and you're supposed to win this Olympics. This is the one you're supposed to win, isn't it? Yes. What happened? <laughs> yes, I was supposed to win this. Um, Did you think I, you were going to win in the yeah, run-up to yeah, it? I had no worries. I didn't even think, it wasn't even a question that I was going to win it. Who, who uh, were your uh, major rivals? Mark McCoy was Mark still McCoy, around, but you were beating Ma- Mark regularly. Well, Mark's my training partner, yeah. so I see him every single day. Yeah. He's the second best athlete in the world. Yeah, uh, and he's used to events. the sight of your heels, so yeah. I, yeah. I was training with this guy, so uh, it wasn't a, a real major threat in my mind. Anybody was, else who could possibly have been? Tony Dees was the number one American, and he was somebody that um, we would have to watch out for because him and Mark had done a couple of good battles on the circuit and uh, and Tony had beaten Mark on some occasions and I'd beaten Tony on every occasion. So for me, it was a, it was nearly a, a formality. I just had to prepare well and be healthy when I arrived on the line. Um, I was so confident that I sent home my massage therapist from our training camp. It wasn't necessary to have him there. What I'm only I'm not training. I'm just racing and I never get usually injured in a race. Is that um, what's called tempting fate, uh, Colin? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I, I ran the first round and literally I walked across the line and I, and I looked at the clock and I laughed because it was a time of 13.10 seconds. I think I think only Tony Dees had run faster than that all year. And, and I you thought were jogging that, And I was literally just like... In as far as you can, the hurdles. It's very hard to do I, that. I was kind of, yeah, it was, yeah. It was literally jogging. Okay. <laughs> it was literally jogging. And I thought to myself... I, I, this is not just a title here. I think the world records on on the cards. So in my mind, that was all. I was I was already on the top of the rostrum with my yep. medal, and uh, it was just going to be the Practicing world record. Your tears for God save the Queen. You got it. Yeah. And so um, I was really anxious and looking forward to it. But the problem I had was uh, second round. Uh, I didn't warm up for it. Um, it was about two hours after the heat, and it was warm. It was Barcelona, and I didn't warm up for it. Uh, I caught one of the hurdles, and I ended up tearing my left oblique. Um, and once that had gone, which it was well, for, for those who are not medical, who are not medical people, what's an oblique? Um, they are called your love handles. Okay, right. <laughs> so you know exactly where they are. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I ripped my left one, uh, and and. Uh, you can't hurdle very well without it <laughs> because it stabilises and it also gives you that power to elevate it and that was me kaput, literally. Well, the next day was the semi-finals and the final. Mm. Um, you got through the semi-finals. Mm. I think you won the semi-finals. No, no, no Mark no, beat no, me in the semi. Mark, Mark yeah, beat me in right. the semi, yeah. Then you get to the final. Again, mm. it's the Olympic Games. You're going to have one go at it. Mm. Unfortunately for you... Um, there was a full start, so whatever chance you might have had—I mean, I don't suppose you had a real chance—but whatever chance you did have, you, you're you're putting pressure on the muscle again, aren't you? Yeah, the problem we have is when you you've torn a muscle like that is just standing around because as you're standing around, it just gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. So I had to do as much movement as I possibly can. But you know what movement is? Movement is taking away energy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I was in a real catch-22 situation. All I wanted was a clean start because it just saved me hanging around for another two or three minutes which I didn't want to do uh, and unfortunately it didn't happen ironically the person who didn't clean start now lost to history a little bit as a British athlete called Hugh Teep Huey Huey and do you know what I couldn't say did he know the state you were in no 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 only no. Mark would have known that, yeah. that I was in a bad way um you know Hugh said to me that the, he he wasn't expecting to be in the final 
And the only way he was going to get his name mentioned on the television if he had a false start. So um, why not? And I thought to yourself, do you know what? Why not? Absolutely, why not? Hey, most people just call him Big Brother nowadays, right? To get themselves there. Huge at the false start. And the thing is, I mean, I'm sure you were devastated. Uh, Mark McCoy won. I don't know whether you were happy or sad about that. but It, it was a bit of mixed emotions. Yeah. Uh, What's Mort Morrissey's song? We hate it when our friends become successful. (laughs) But I tell you why it was mixed for me. Um, Initially, it's because I knew our training was absolutely spot on. And that was crucial because we had another year to go for, for a world championship. So Mark winning told me that it was just me that did it wrong. I didn't concentrate. I didn't focus. Ten days later... In Monaco, <laughs> you beat all the people in the Olympic final in a time that was faster than the Olympic final was won in. All right, don't rub it in. Yes, I you're just... absolutely right. There was, it was the Olympic final, and we lined up again to, to do the run. And um, I literally, then I thought, I just need to win this race. So I just ran very. Was Hugh Teep in it? No. No, he no, wasn't allowed in no, 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 no. no. yeah. Hugh was replaced actually by Roger Kingdom. Okay, so, so <laughs> it's a good replacement. The, the ante, yeah. But yeah, it was interesting because I, I just ran very safely. I protected myself just to make sure because I just needed the victory to prove something to myself. And when I saw the, the, the winning time, I think that's really what upset me then because I thought, why didn't that happen 10 days ago? Colin, you know what it is? You, you watched it in the stadium yourself less than a year ago. Greg Rutherford um, his his jump was nothing special historically mm-hmm. but he did it on the right place on the and right day time. and he's wandering around now I'm sorry Colin but with a gold medal on his head <laughs> next after that disappointing uh, disappointment despair at the 1992 Olympics uh, the following year brings very contrasting fortunes you prove yourself without doubt the best on the planet by winning gold at the world championship in Stuttgart and uh, a world record that stood for years and years and years. So we're going to start being a little bit more positive now here <laughs> on My Sporting Life. Uh, first up to the hockey tonight is Mike at Mokarewo, who says, uh, you've half answered this, but uh, can you tell me what the split is, Colin? He says, between the percentage between genetics and training in sport. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, it's a I huge issue, program, I know. Yeah, I, I ended up, I first of all thought it was like 75% um, training and 25% were you given. And then when I kind of went through the whole development and seen who I was and how I developed the person I was going to be I, I put it down to 50-50 yeah absolutely 50-50 the example I always give now is the number of professional footballers who are themselves the um, the, the sons of either professional athletes or professional football it's it's amazing yeah, yeah. nature and nurture I mean I think it's a, it's a real split 50-50 absolutely uh, Claire at uh, Leverick she says I'd love to know who Colin's ultimate athletics great is Oh, goodness me, there's so Thompson many. Thompson or someone beyond Thompson? See, I think, for me, Daly was just the most incredible athlete because if he was around nowadays as well, you'd see how big Usain Bolt is. I think Daly would have been certainly marching shoulders by shoulder with him because um, he had that style, he had the charisma, but most of all, he was a champion. OK, well, the next two both have got very, very high expectations of you. <laughs> Kev O'Sullivan, at Kev, o- Kev O'Sullivan uh, 07, says, uh, would Colin have been so good without Roger Kingdom and Tony Jarrett to push him? You're right, I wouldn't have been. Um, and the real reason for that is that you need some somebody to focus on so that was that person was, was Roger obviously I wanted to take his uh, his title from him but also to have someone on your doorstep who's chasing you all the time uh, and I never wanted to get caught by Tony so uh, I had really a good opportunity to develop and I, I, I always thank those two guys and Tony Mitchell who's at Maverick Mitch listen uh, I don't know I, I'm going to hold this one at arm's length before I read it so. <laughs> Colin I'll read it in the, what the tone 
Although you had a, grit, a glittering career, do you feel that maybe you could have achieved more, says Tony here? <laughs> yeah, he's right. There's one more. Of course, I could have won an Olympic gold medal. I should have won an Olympic gold medal. So, yeah, I mean, that's the only thing that's missing. That's not off your my only CV. big failure in my life. Oh. I work here every day with Darren Goff. Oh, for you, yeah. For you to yeah. let Goff beat you at Strictly know, Come Dancing. We'll come on to that later, but really, uh. that is a better, surely that's punishable in some sort of way. Listen, we've already reached the halfway stage of what I think is a very, very entertaining edition of My Sporting Life. And coming up next, we'll be discussing your athletics career post-Barcelona, including your two gold medals at the World Championships, the world record you set in winning the first of those, as well as numerous other titles, including a further three European gold medals. And the life after you retired from the track, your time in coaching, um, Strictly Come Dancing, which I've already alluded to, <laughs> your media career and much else besides. You'll listen to Colin uh, Jackson here on My Sporting Life with me, Danny Kelly. After your disappointment in Barcelona, mm. what were your own... Um, I mean, you must have felt under tremendous pressure then. Huge pressure, huge pressure, self-pressure. Yeah. Pressure I put on myself. Um, I, I knew I'd let down a lot of people uh, at the Olympic Do Games. Do you really think you had? I mean, you're hurt, you're hurt. No, no, I let down a lot of people in my mind. Um, people had put time and effort and I had this dream and people wanted me to succeed in, in my dream and they worked hard and put themselves out to, to make me fulfill that dream. And I well, kind of felt... But your parents I, I, had, I, I, had, I had, had sort of supported you for a short while. I mean, and Malcolm and, you know... Yeah, but you know what? They're also your support mechanism and they're the ones who are there for you when things are not going particularly very well either and they're the ones who are dealing with your moods that are consistently changing um, because you've had a great session or a bad session or you've lost a race or you've just been stopped speeding in your new car whatever you know yeah. they're, they're the people that's got to deal with those type of things so you know I, I did felt a, a huge sense of responsibility and I knew um, I couldn't fail that year so tell us about the build-up to the World Championships, which were in Stuttgart in Germany. Well, uh, I was competing very well. And again, I wasn't losing competitions. And I knew I was the world number one going into that championships. Um, my major focus was um, believing myself. I really had to really believe myself. And do not get too cocky. Do not go be arrogant in any shape or form and deliver what you're capable of delivering. But surely Barcelona must have put you into your head that, you know, you've got to put the negatives out of your head, but if ever there was something that would make you guard against complacency, it would be what had happened to you in the Olympics. Yeah, but also that can kind of twist you in, a, in, in another way because you can make you think to yourself, well, perhaps I can't absolutely deliver on the, the, the highest level. So you, it can take you down another pathway as well, especially for me having my training partner raise his game and, and take the title in, in such an explosive way. So for me, the most important thing was to, to always keep self-belief and and really deliver what I knew I was capable of delivering. And that was just victories on the, on the highest level. I could say that in the run-up as well to Stuttgart, you'd, you'd, you were second in the World Indoor Championships, but they were in Canada. Mark McCoy won it, I think, right, saying, but at a full start where he was halfway down the track and, and they just ignored it. So, But I actually want to talk about something else that's going on in the build-up build mm. to this. By this stage in your career, you're doing lots of things very, very right to get yourself yeah. ready. Mm. But I understand you were, I don't know whether to talk about problems um, with your eating, with your with your eating regime, you would yeah. go days without eating. Yeah, I was I obsessed. Mean, <laughs> yeah, um, but eventually that becomes anorexia, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Do you absolutely. think you had anorexia? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I, would, I would have looked at myself and, and thought to myself that I was slightly bigger than it was necessary to be. And I remember um, at the stage surely, one of my surely, training what, partners... What about sports science? Out. Surely you must have an ideal running weight. Uh, well, I didn't know what it absolutely was. All so I knew was the lighter the, I was, the stronger I was, the quicker I was. That was the only thing that was in my mind. So so um, the key thing was to lose as much weight as I possibly can um, uh, and try and, and, and perform 
the best I can off being as so light as I can. So I used to lie about my weight and say, I used to, I used to, I always used to say I was a little bit heavier than I actually was. You're it's the other way now, it, now. Yeah. Way oh, now. yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> and do, you're laughing about it. Did, mm. did, you, did you deliberately starve yourself? What were you doing to make to achieve this oh, weight yeah. loss? Because yeah, when you're yeah. an athlete, you're, really, you're burning up a lot of calories anyway, Yeah, but I didn't do many other things outside of a sport of athletics because I didn't have the energy. If I, <laughs> I'll be blatantly yeah. obvious with that. I didn't have the energy. So... Every single training session I did, I literally had to physically raise myself to to go out there and, and do what I was supposed to do. I was exhausted after training. I mean, literally exhausted after training. And yes, I would would starve myself. Yeah, I understand you're actually doing making a program for another yeah. station about yeah. this very issue now. Yeah, uh, and and what the the whole problem that they kind of lead into was uh, with the fact that lots of people only think it happens with women distance runners or middle distance runners and it doesn't happen with power athletes and certainly not men so um, that's the reason why I, I said to them I'm more than happy to be involved and explain that and it's a funny question they asked me was uh, when do you get over it when do you absolutely get over that the, the men, and I said you never do um, you always get that it's always in the back of your mind um, it's how you set yourself up you know what it's like you set yourself up you're in that position and well and you, you take that path well hopefully um it doesn't cause you any more problems colin and if it is causing you problems i have here a list of london's best pie shops that I, can <laughs> I can most certainly recommend to you um whatever whatever way you're preparing let's talk about stuttgart because yeah. let's cut straight to the chase here you win the gold medal and in that wonderful way that sometimes these things come together in a person's life, you win the gold medal and break the world record in the same race, and you go, I mean, break it. 12.91. I mean, you need a parachute to stop your going so quick, yeah? <laughs> I, I, I was a little bit disappointed in breaking the world record then as well because I'm greedy. You gathered that, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty greedy. Um, and I, I said I wanted to win the title and have that feeling of, of winning my very first global title, but then I wanted to go on to a couple of, you know, races after and, and then break the world record to get two separate feelings so yeah. successful well, remember Sergei Bubke used to like the feeling of the $50,000 you, know, you got for breaking the world record against so he used to break it by the pole vaulter yeah. one centimetre at a time because he liked the feeling of the $50,000 in his hand oh, you never got that feeling very often <laughs> no. unfortunately but yeah no that was the reason I was, but I was ecstatic I must admit to win interestingly, the title was you, great you, you, I, mean, I think you controlled the, the, the whole event very well because in semi-final you didn't even win I think nope. I'm right in saying that you yep. ran and you ran by your own standards Quite slowly, Tony. Tony Jarrett, bless him, um, ran three fourteen. But you, yeah, I would you, think I was third going in, ran third with with my time. What was that about? Then? You just it was just running safe. It was just about you know realizing I'm in great shape here now, and the most important thing is just to qualify because if you're not in the final, you can't win the title. It's as simple as that. So play it safe, CJ. Play it safe, and once you get in the final, give it all you got. Tell us about the final. Well, um, I remember the whole stadium going completely silent when uh, we when we went to our blocks, and um, I, I'd settled into the blocks. And I, I was really ready to go. My preparation was a bit iffy because I'd made a couple of mistakes in the in the build up and doing some practice starts, and and I decided just to forget all that and just leave it. Get in your blocks and and do what you can do. Tony Jarrett was in the race on one side of you. I think Jack yeah. Pierce, the American, Jack was, was there. Yeah, Tony yeah. Dees was there, and yeah. you know it was going to be a tough competition, and. I remember when the gun absolutely went and exploded. I, I burst out of the blocks. I took my first two strides and I knew I'd won the race. 
it was one of these weird feelings. It's like I was just taken and saying, okay, this is yours. And then I had to wake myself up, literally wake myself up and thinking, you need to clear some hurdles here, sunshine. And I, <laughs> I started clearing these hurdles. One, two, three, four, five. Got to hurdle six and absolutely ran out of steam. I was exhausted. And, um, and I remember thinking that was literally bad nutrition that had taken my power say, away from yeah. me and I literally thought to myself oh god this is it this is not happening because I could literally not feel my legs and I was just clawing my way through through the, uh, the next four hurdles and I ended up clattering the the tenth barrier and staggered into the line and so I was surprised that I actually managed to break the world record in that circumstance. So when you saw that world record at the end of it, what were your feelings then? Can you remember your feelings? I glanced at the clock and I saw the time, 12.91 seconds, and I, I thought, oh, well, if that's, yeah, well, that could be the world record. I'm not so sure. Let me just enjoy this moment. I went round to the lap of honour and uh, I was waving to the crowd and I was smiling. And you can imagine the, the, the sensation I was feeling because it was every single emotion that went through me. Relief because I'd won my first title. Excitement because I'm world champion. Uh, and there was this buzz around the stadium and I couldn't quite understand what was going on. It's become more the norm now at athletics. It didn't used to be that family members are there for these really big events. Were, were your family, your family no. there? Oh, they were see. back home when I was yeah. there. they were yeah. watching there but yeah. <laughs> it's when I came down the back straight and I, and I looked on the big notice board and, uh, and I was listening to the, um, the, 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 the in commentator the infield commentator and, and he said uh, Colin Jackson the new world champion and new world record holder and I had this massive cheesy grin on myself because I could not believe it. And all I kind of kept thinking about was my, my real humble beginning, just thinking, oh, God. I'm Why does everyone do that? Everybody oh, does that. It's incredible because it's, 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 really reaction, just, it? it's really disbelief. You know, I thought to myself, my parents came over here to this country as, as immigrants. They settled themselves in. They had myself and my sister and... Um, Look what their hard work has achieved, you know. Somebody Someone said, on casualty, yeah. Only casualty. <laughs> but it was just incredible. It was just an incredible feeling and, and really disbelief. And I just thought, I, I just want to get home. <laughs> Your record stood for nine years. Mm. Um, so, yeah. so, A, it was a very, very good record. Yeah. And B, what did you feel when it finally went? I mean, uh, the, big, the big... Lu Zhang from yeah, China, Zhang, yeah. yeah. Um, a giant, a yeah, giant. He yeah, he kind of, he, he equaled it in uh, the, at the Olympic Games in 2004. So hang on, what, I said it in 93. So nine years. So yeah. 11 years. 11, 11 years, 11, sorry, 11 years. Yeah, 11 years. He equaled it then, and then he broke it fully in 2006. So, yeah, it was around for 13 years yeah. in, in total. I, I, it's funny, I felt no attachment to it. Once, um, once I'd retired... From the sport of athletics, I felt no attachment to that world record because it was like that was then. Yeah. Uh, and when I retired, I retired as the best I could possibly be, and the best I could possibly be was the best the world had seen at that particular moment in time. So I had no real attachment to it. So it was like, Although okay, great. Nice there one. must be a part of you who watches, say, an Olympic final, mm. and you think, oh, four of those still not running that time. I noticed, <laughs> yeah, maybe five of them. Yeah. No, I, I don't reflect like that, funny. Okay. I don't do. I just don't, don't do that. I wish I did actually. I think I did. I think there's something wrong with me when I don't do it. <laughs> well, listen, I must talk about the, the indoor season in 1994. Sure. <laughs> um, we're at uh, a place called, you can help me with this, Sindelfingen. Where yeah. the hell is Sindelfingen? It's just outside Stuttgart. For right. It's seven miles outside Stuttgart. <laughs> OK, well, you break the world record in the 60 metres hurdles indoors mm. in winning that. Was it world or world indoor? Yeah. World? No, Euro European Championships. Um, uh, sorry, that's just, get this right, Danny. You break the world record at Sindelfingen, then yep. you go on to Paris yeah, the to, win, to win the gold medal in the hurdles. 
and the sprinting, if you don't mind, and the 60 metres flat. Yes, First, we're talking about the world record in Sindelfingen. <laughs> OK, Sindelfingen was a great track. I always ran very well there. I set the European record there um, in 1980, 1989. Mm-hmm. So it was me returning, really, to um, old stomping ground to see what I could do. So I knew I was in great shape again. It was the important thing was to run as fast as I possibly could because now I was generally attacking the world record. I, I'd already equaled it uh, a couple of times beforehand, so I really wanted to take ownership of the indoor world record. And Even everything... though you didn't like the event? I couldn't stand it. <laughs> I couldn't stand it. Uh, but uh, eventually, uh, I nailed the start, and I got the first two hurdles right, and it, it took me a time of, of 7.30 seconds, which... Oh, gosh, it's since 1994. And I remember then when I crossed the line, I saw the clock. I remember thinking to myself, I'm gutted. And, like, Mark was in the race, and that's my training partner. He was like, why are you like that? And I said, well, I've now realised, Mark, I will never, ever, ever run that fast again. And that's not a nice feeling when you're 22nd. Although, at the time, yeah. although you might um, add... That no human being has run that fast again, <laughs> ever. Yeah, but I wasn't thinking about it. I'm, I'm selfish, no, uh, remember? Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, given that given that hurdling is a very major sport indoors, yeah. it's not like something that yeah, everyone no. takes part in it because yeah. it, it's it's 60 metres yeah. and it, it can be done quickly. Yeah. Um, the record still stands, doesn't it? Yeah, since 1994. I mean, um, I'm surprised that it, it it really stayed so long because we've had some great hurdlers, you know, from Lu Zhang to Aris Merritt to uh, Dylan Robles yeah. of Cuba. These guys were, were quick. Um, but I just managed to hang on with that one world record. So. And then a few weeks later, you go to Paris um, yeah. for the European Indoor Championships. You win the hurdles again. No big deal now, I'm saying. You're one, <laughs> one, t- one hundredth of a second outside. No, sorry, 11 hundredths of a second outside your own yeah. world record. Yeah. But, um, no, let me get this right. You you ran seven six forty nine in the sixty to, flat to win the flat. Yeah. First of all, why did you enter the flat? That's just a bit blurry, <laughs> isn't it? Well, I kind of was sprinting quite well anyway, so I thought to myself, shall I have a go at the double? So I have a word with the coach first of all, and he said, yeah, you should do it. And then I spoke to Linford, and I said to Linford, shall I have a go at the double? And he went, well, you might as well have a go, you know. Mm-hmm. You're not going to really lose anything. You're just going to gain take it, something. If you I take it Linford wasn't running in this, no, otherwise, yeah. No, he was at home, and yeah, he wasn't okay. expecting me to run 6.49. That, that really? That was for sure. He knew I was going to run quickly, but he didn't think I'd go into 7.5 because virtually everybody goes under, sorry, anybody goes under 6.5 seconds tends to go um, sub 10 seconds for the 100 meters. Okay. So that was kind of the ballpark figure, and my 100 meters personal best was 10.29 at that time so you weren't nobody was expecting me to to go so quickly but I managed to go 6.49 and take the title did you enjoy that? I loved it absolutely loved it you know rubbing salt into the wound of all the sprinters of Europe the best sprinters in Europe was was wonderful I mean the indoor sprinting for me and forgive me this is not very athletic the bit I love about it, you run through the line at 100 miles an hour, whatever you're doing, <laughs> then up the banking, and you have to run to those mattresses at the far end. Like How you many have to crash times? land in the mattresses. How many times? It's about, it seems the runoff is about nearly 30 metres, and you're trying to slow down so quickly. Um, <laughs> you literally go right over. Sometimes you can go over the top of these mats. But, yeah, you do Because, I mean, you, you have to, to bear in mind stop. that since then 100 metres, you're decelerating for the second mm. half of the race. You're actually in the 60 metres. You're running, running as fast as anybody mm. could be. Uh, when, you, when you go yeah. for the line, yeah. So it's a, it is a tricky thing to, to handle the, the slowing up process. <laughs> but then, yeah, so that was a lovely surprise title about, you know, the 60 hurdles that people expect me to win at. Yeah, well, and uh, what we have, I mean, you, you go on. Um, at this time, you're, you're, you're just incredibly successful and 
uh, until unless you get injured, it seems to me you you're unbeatable for about two years. Right? Yeah. Now, yeah. In, 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 all right, that's all right. But if you're if you're uh, Gabriel Selassie, uh, if you're um, in a distance, right, you, you have time to work out every race. To seem, it seems to me that in a technical event, it's much more difficult to be unbeaten in that time. Because let's be fair, you could go arse over tip, couldn't you? Yeah, quite quickly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the amount of races you're running as well, because you know, you as can, a sprinter, you've got yeah, a lot of times. Doing, yeah. you're doing Your run was 44, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, the run of 44 was 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 pretty was pretty impressive um even if i say so myself i look back and i thought oh god that wasn't too bad at all but if you went back a, another year um and, and took into say 1992 and you went from 1992 to the 1995 i'd most probably just lost one race out of 70 so the actual run itself was was, was pretty outstanding even if i say so myself i look at it thinking i'm surprised Every, everything kind of shocks me still because i don't i don't recognize that person if that makes sense sure you're into another you know, part like, of your life yeah now, it's like you? god what happened there <laughs> who, who was this dude did you ever fall over colin oh god yeah many occasions well clearly not for three years you know. <laughs> yeah but that was just the the real business in training yeah. and the practice when you make mistakes you it, take the risks it, you want to improve it does look terrible when a high hurdler i mean it looks terrible because it looks bloody painful for a yeah. start doesn't it yeah you, you you hit the floor quickly <laughs> yeah, you're already, and you, you tumble the floor, a long yeah. way and all yeah. the rest of it yeah absolutely i mean one of my partners Paul Gray broke his wrist and his shoulder um, just when he hit the first hurdle because he hit it so badly so you know accidents do happen oh I know someone I meant to ask you about when you go back to your double when you run the sprint as well yeah. in many ways I always thought that Gail Devers was one of the most extraordinary athletes yeah. the world's ever seen she was good enough to be Olympic champion, the, Olympic yeah. champion at both uh, events, yeah. extraordinary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, do she's you, do you know Gail? I know Gail yeah, very yeah, well, yeah. And, and I always used to wind it up something chronic because if you ask Gail the question, what are you? You a sprinter or you a hurdler? She would always define herself as a hurdler and I'd say, you need to look at the videos. Trust me, you're a sprinter, Gail. <laughs> you are not a, a hurdler at all. But yeah, titles say it all and she was a great hurdler in that sense. I mean, Colin, I don't mean to... Uh, to after 95, I mean, we're still, with all athletes, it becomes a time when, even though you're only in your late 20s, I hear the story again and again and again. There are triumphs to come, still yeah, loads yeah. of medals for you, yeah. but um, it becomes a battle stuff. against the human body because with the, not just the elasticity starts to go, and that may not happen to your 32 or 33, mm. but just every injury brings a, uh, brings a, another problem, doesn't it? And you get into all yeah. that, don't you? Yeah, there is problems. And, 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 and it's, that's also linked with your mental state as well also um, because you can imagine you've had a... An, a huge acceleration pathway and you've put a lot of time and effort hours and hours and hours and hours of, of training in so the, there's a time when the body goes uh, uh, can't take any anymore um, and that's when you really have to put that huge battle in both mentally and, and physically I mean we talked about your um, no, I wouldn't. I won't use the word failure. That's not. That's not right. Because uh, your inability to get your hands on an Olympic gold medal. Mm. Last chance comes, I guess, for you in 1996 in Atlanta. Um, you're still a very competitive runner, though not perhaps in the form. And also, I think there must. You, you must have been aware of it as well. If you look, we talked a lot about the people you raced against. You know, the McCoys of this world and the the kingdoms of this world and and uh, Tony Jarrett. And then you look at that Olympic final. Um, Ma with, with, with uh, Mark Alan Creer, Johnson, Alan Mark Johnson, Creer, yeah. Florian Schwarzkopf. There yeah. was a kind of changing of the guard, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, but they were all people I could beat. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was, well, that, why that were was you fourth then? Why was I fourth? <laughs> bad attitude. You know when we talk about a mental attitude again being bad? A very bad attitude. If you looked at my, my whole run-up into that Olympic Games, my, my times were much quicker in training 
in preparation there than they were before 1992. But I really wasn't in or up for the game. I didn't. I wasn't enjoying my my athletics at that period in, in my life. And I, and I was. It was, seems like it was hampering me more than inspiring me. Um, so I had to have a, a real rethink after those Olympic Games uh, in Atlanta because um, what was I going to do? Was I going to retire? I already was world record holder, won world titles, or should I go on? And sure. I guess you did give yourself a stern talking to because there is a lovely gold moment, isn't there, at 32 years of age in Seville, where you win um, uh, another gold medal in the world in the world championships, uh, which is just fantastic. Six years after winning your first one, which for a sprinter takes some doing. Mm. Although I, I can't say that I think the quality of the field might have been down. Is Diana Ross in third place here? <laughs> I mean, that is not a quality field, is it? Oh, Dwayne Ross, sorry. Dwayne, it looks like Diana Ross on my screen. I thought, that is not a good final. You know, I said to have uh, the, the problem... Whitney Houston was second. This, yeah. is, this is no good at all. You know, I, I tend to do this, right? But I ended up training. I was training with Dwayne. Dwayne came to join my tra- okay. training group. And he He's was American, training yeah. with us. Yeah, yeah. and, and Dwayne, Dwayne was training with us and from the January, literally. So you like keep training through. people to finish just behind you, yeah? What was I thinking, right? <laughs> um... But no, it was a it, it was a fun time to to do that, and I think um, for me it was it was nice to show these young boys that oh, us old boys can still do it. Well, listen, there were still even more medals to come. You added a final fourth successive European Championship gold in the two thousand and two in Munich, um, meaning you'd uh, your unbroken your unbroken run as European champion stretched back to nineteen ninety, which is just fantastic. You also won a silver medal in Manchester, in case anyone forgets, in the two thousand and two Commonwealth Games. Daft question, but why did you decide to retire? I mean, earlier on when we were talking off air, you said that you'd come to a point in your life, you and a whole generation of British Britons, mm. where you just thought. How much more can we keep doing this? Yeah. Not that you didn't care, but you didn't care enough. No, it's Is true. That fair? You could train as much as you wanted to do, and we enjoyed the social aspects of the training. It was the competition that was really getting on your nerves. It was like, oh, I've got to go again, and I've yeah. got to go again. I've it's got about to go that, again. Pe- that peaking thing, isn't it? So you've it? got to be able to raise your game. You've got to lift your performance, because um, it's always great to be able to train well, but you must be able to lift your performance. And that's when I found, you know what? Mm, it doesn't mean enough to me to raise my performance level uh, a little little bit more to be inspired to be motivated so it's best to get out on the uh, still at the top because funny enough when we had that question from the listener earlier on uh, on the twitter service about um sort of um dna versus mm. training there's also the the, the last five percent is is all mental it's always it? in your brain it is. of yeah. course it is yeah absolutely uh, you've for, got to have it there yeah for, for big time yeah well, did you know what you were going to do when you retired colin had you any idea it's not back to the electric electricianing for you is it no that wasn't gonna happen no. cold winter mornings no i wasn't no. gonna do no. that right. on the side no that wasn't gonna do that no I, I i really didn't know what i wanted all i did know is that i wanted to share my experience and and the knowledge that i gained um from someone invested in me so obviously that was my coach malcolm he put a lot of time and mm-hmm. effort into it so i thought to myself I need to be able to do that. If I can do that and make that magic happen and, and get someone else to perform well, I'll certainly have a go. So how, how much coaching have you actually done? Now? Not the, the way, nothing you do, do you do any now? No, no. no, no. no then when you retired, how much did you do? Um, I did, did you get into experience. it? Yeah, I enjoyed it as well because it still gave me opportunity to keep a little bit fit so I, I could hang out and work out with some of the, the guys I used to coach. Um, and then... Um, yeah, enjoy seeing them being successful. It was like wonderful to say, God, 
Nice one. Well, look, one of the people you coached, and uh, if you'd given me 50 guesses who his coach was, I would not have guessed you, um, <laughs> is uh, Mark Foster, the swimmer and world, indeed world silver medalist in 2008. And you, fo- you, you coached him. It's an un- I mean, I would expect you have been coaching other sprinters, I'll be honest with you. So once again, you've <laughs> defied expectations, Colin. I'd like to say that Mark Foster, thanks to the magic of radio, joins us on the line now. Hello, Mark. Oh, good afternoon. <laughs> Hello there. How are you? Good? I'm doing very, very well, thank you. Well, Colin would probably make up some phony baloney stories. So you tell me how you, a swimmer, came to have um, a runner as your coach. I don't know. It's actually, it was one of these things. I, I actually do a lot of motivational speaking, and I do talk about looking uh, looking outside of the box, as it were, and the fact that Colin, who, who doesn't mind me saying, he can't swim very well himself, so how did he actually, <laughs> how did he actually look after me? But what he was very, very good at doing, I mean, we were good friends from the bath days anyway, but what he was very good at doing was going, OK, your event lasts 21 seconds. That's a little bit like a 200-metre run on the track, and this is what a 200-metre runner would do on the track. We'll translate that into the water. And um, I had the utmost respect for him, obviously, so I listened to every word he did, he told me to do. And technically, I'd do that part myself because, like I say, he couldn't swim, but um, the, the relationship, it just worked. So, Colin, how does this work? Do you stand at the side of the pool in a tracksuit with a with a clipboard shouting, or do you have to get in, presumably some kind of water wings, the way he's talking? I mean, how do you, how do you coach swimming, for God's sake? Do you know, one time he nearly had to dive into a pool to <laughs> when we were in Miami, you saw I was in a little bit of trouble, so uh, I didn't go in the water again. Can you not again. swim, Colin? Seriously? No, I can swim yeah, a yeah. little bit. But yeah, not, but not like not, Mark Foster, no. No, but... no, 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 but not many people can. <laughs> what, 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 did, what, did it, Mark, what did the other swimmers say to you when, when, when you first started pitching up with Colin um, as your coach? Uh, I think a lot of them were well. Actually, in Britain, they you know they were none the wiser. But I think you know internationally, they were kind of a little bit psyched out because they obviously knew how good an athlete he was, and uh, they they obviously didn't know what he could do or there was any related to swimming. But I think what what like I said earlier, what he did was he took what what uh, I would have done as an athlete and put it into the water. And I think there were a few raised eyebrows, let's say. And I think within within the association, people were wondering what the hell was going on. But I literally after 2002 Commonwealth Games, I was coaching myself. And I had a, 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 an average Commonwealth Games, and we were talking a lot. And Colin said, "Well, you know, do you want me to look after you?" This is the summer of 2002, and then literally that next summer for the World Championships in Barcelona, um, I went and got a silver medal, and it sort of took my performance onto another level. So it did help immensely. Mark, no, no. Uh, I mean, obviously, I hear the brave words. But obviously, a huge amount of regret on your part. Yes. <laughs> Can I just say, if you get the opportunity, or any of your listeners get the opportunity, go onto YouTube and put Colin Jackson, <laughs> Colin Jackson superstars. And I tell, we, I, he, when we did superstars, I was meant to teach him to swim. We got to the dive part, and Colin went, just not the block. I want to get off the block really well. <laughs> so he went into the water like the man from Atlantis and started kicking, and he never came up. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Well, it's, uh, it's very funny. There's no need to swim, just dive. And you know what, Foz, you're the world's best dive coach, right? Because <laughs> I dived well. <laughs> it was a little bit like, Colin was a little bit like, it's like we've got drive for show, putt for dive. He just wanted to drive for show. <laughs> Mark, thank you very much indeed for explaining the, the fun, if, if unusual relationship between a, a running coach and a, and a top-class swimmer, of course. Thanks very much to Mark Foster. <laughs> um, you've gone on then um, to do TV. We'll come on to the serious part of that mm. in just a second. Um, as I said, I work here every evening with uh, with Darren Goff, yeah. um, and uh, he beat you on the 2005 series <laughs> of Strictly Come Dancing. I mean, yeah. how on, I mean, look at him. He's ungainly. 
<laughs> he's untelevisual. He's unattractive to look. How did you let that happen? I had something called Dollgate, I think is the word they used. I ended up, uh, our show dance was done with some uh, mannequins. Right. And I don't think the general Forgive public me, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the... see us dance with mannequins. No. Did, so. you, did you enjoy Strictly? <laughs> I enjoyed the whole journey. It was absolutely fantastic. You've got to, of course, you have to use that word journey if you're on television. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that's a journey, a, that's yeah. A, that's important. And um, what, what was I found wonderful about it is I ended up learning a brand new skill which I never thought I was going to be able to do uh, so to learn to ballroom dance to do Latin was was so much fun it was it was literally a, a hoot the whole way from the off from the beginning to the finish a hoot I mean because um, a lot of the competitors obviously everyone tends to take it very seriously Johnson's like sergeant perhaps not so much so <laughs> Um, I'm amazed at how emotional people get about it. I know, uh, I mean, for the athletes, I think they've got an advantage. They're used to learning a yeah, skill, yeah, yeah. targeting mm-hmm. a, a final and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. But you see the actors and actresses, and they're literally in tears when they can't do the dance steps. Yeah, it's 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 a real emotional thing because you want to do it well, and you want to do it well for your training partner. It's the same old, because you've invested a lot in it, and they've invested a lot in you. And, and they give you this sense of belief, and... And they're human beings. So when they do these little fancy moves, you're thinking, well, why can't I do <laughs> fancy moves? I should make the point, having taken the mickey out of you, that a year later you did come back and you're the only non-winner of a series to come back and win the Christmas special. So yes. competitive to the end, Colin. <laughs> the other TV show series that I saw you on, and I really was interested in this, um, I love the series Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah. Because a lot of people find out that they're you know, related to um, bank robbers or whatever it is, yeah. or sheep rustlers back in the day. Um, and yours was different because it kind of took in the whole world. Uh, your, your, your racial background became the issue as you were. And, you know, uh, just tell, how did you, why did you decide to do that? Because that, that program can open cans of words. Oh, yeah, yeah. It? No, I think you've hit that. Did you consult well, your parents before you did I it? I consulted everybody. But yeah, all the family got consulted. Um, and um, basically, because it's not just about me, it affects everybody in, in the family. So it was important that, that I gave them the respect to say, well, would you like to know the information? What did the world's wisest woman say? Did she say you should do it? My sister was the person who came up with the right words saying um, ultimately, you know what, we can't control the past, that wasn't us uh, but what we can do is control the future so make sure whatever we do in the future is a good cause and I thought you're absolutely right, sign that paperwork, let's start re- what researching. Did, and what did you discover about yourself? Well, I had these very strange kind of splits, that's for sure. I was 55%, um, they call it sub-Saharan, uh, uh, sub-Saharan Black African. African, so, that's, no, yeah. so that's Sub-Saharan what they call African, it. So yeah. 55%. Then I had um, 7% what they call Native American. Which, which I presume is the Carib Indians. Taino, I was, yeah. yeah. So Caribs, Arak, Taino, yeah. Indian. So I was 7% that, and the rest is European. So I, there's a lot of me that's European. So my coach kind of says that that's where I get my speed, the European side. I tell him, hell no. <laughs> but he would try and claim that, wouldn't he? And, yeah, he would. And did, you, did, and did you love doing that program? Oh, it was, uh, uh, what, what an amazing time. I mean, to go across to, to, to Scotland, to Jamaica, to find out what your forefathers did was just sensational. Sensational! It it took my breath away on every single part of Has it. Has it changed you at all, knowing where where you are, where you came from now? Well, when I look in the mirror, I can understand where my my bone structure comes from, and my looks come from. Yeah. That makes it absolutely clear. So yeah, it's a nice thing to do. Let's come back to the moment, if you like. Mm. Um, 
you're part of a, I say this with no bitterness, you're part of a, a movement in the media, which particularly in sports coverage, says that you, you don't need great broadcasters. What you need is former sportsmen to do it. And you've, uh, you've become one of the faces of athletics in this country yeah. on the national broadcast. BBC to you and me, the national <laughs> broadcaster. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I, in my mind, you've been doing it for about six weeks. I, be, I bet you've been doing it for five years or ten years or something. Ten years. Is it ten, ten years? years? Ten yeah. years. Um, and it was bizarre because it was something I didn't particularly want to do or be involved with and I thought well once I finish in the world of sport I want to hang up my spikes and do something completely different had you any idea what that was <sighs> no not really no, right okay um and then my one of the um one of the execs for, from the beep came up to me and said you know give us two years of your life just two years of your life you know we'll train you up if you want to do that and just, just why do you think they try. chose you over any number of other very successful athletes Regardie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, beauty, yeah. The, the, obviously, the, the beauty of the Vizog, yeah. The, the Vizash. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, but, no, no. Sorry, um, all other athletes. <laughs> but, no, I I, I I, don't know. I don't know why Webby came up to me and, and, and said that he wants me to be involved. But he, he, he just asked me the question, and I said no. <laughs> and then he said to me, well, come on, give us two years. And I said, well, all right, I'll happily give you two years. If you don't like it, then that's fine. You've given it a real try, but just give us two years. And I thought, okay, I did it. And he gave us with some, you know, when you work with some good producers, et cetera, et cetera, they can really inspire you to do stuff. And, and they always gave me the sense of belief. And I, I thought, I'm actually enjoying this. And I literally stuck with it. And you still got me on your box today. And you're still enjoying it? I still am enjoying it, yeah. And I, I love those little magical moments um, that you want to be part of or even put your voice to. You can imagine some of the great stuff people like David Coleman have done, mm-hmm. uh, even Steve Kramer has done now, and their voice has gone on on that tape forever and ever amen Steve's very good Brilliant. at it isn't he yeah truly yeah. really good yeah. at it he's grown into that different role different job well, of course what you're doing yeah, absolutely but amazing yeah. yeah but really strong really powerful um, and uh, I, I guess that reached its climax for you if you were lucky because if you hadn't given you hadn't given the two years you wouldn't have been around for the Olympics recently exactly. which was I mean I'm sorry people listening outside of London and particularly those of you who paid for it outside of London yeah. um, it really was astonishing and transformative for the for the uh, the, the city but as well as being transformed for the city the TV coverage was and you you, you know you've had the awards yeah. Colin, your, your back is blistered from being patted <laughs> it was fantastic it, it was very enjoyable for all of us I mean but you know ultimately it's down to the athletes because if they didn't perform um, you we, mean the we, British athletes yes or, the, Brit- yeah. the British athletes yeah. initially yeah. Uh, British athletes globally we can always talk we still need our global superstars you know Usain Bolt doing what he was doing David Radisha breaking the world Amazing. records you know Phelps doing what he was doing in the pool Lochte doing what he was doing in the pool we needed these all these global superstars but it was paramount that the British the, the team GB did very well and they delivered when we wanted them to deliver and once you have that uh, then you're absolutely laughing and joking it's all there stable we're happy and we were going to work with a smile on our face which of course then the, the general public see um uh, and I guess uh, carrying on into the future with the BBC. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I love working with them. It's, again, it's about the team of people that you're working with, um, and I've got a great group of people that I'm really associated with, and I, and I enjoy it. You know, Jonathan Edwards, Michael Johnson, Denise Lewis. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I must say, uh, from personally, and we're perhaps we're going full circle with the Welsh thing here. One of the beautiful things you did in the coverage of the Olympics was digging up. Sorry, that's not the right word. Is it finding, <laughs> finding people who uh, made a contribution and. 
won Olympic gold medals, who we hadn't seen on our TV screens for years and years and years. Yeah. Mary Peters was a good yeah. example. But then when Lynn Davis, who won his long jump record in 1964, appeared and looked like he could probably make the final today. <laughs> I mean, Don't tell Lynn. Uh, having a full He'd head of hair go. helps, I He'd know. Go. But extraordinary to see him he's in such great fettle. Fantastic. He's in great shape. But he's, he, you know, he enjoys his athletics. He still works out. He's interested yeah. in the sport. And many times when I go back to home in Wales, I will, I will pass Lynn you know, doing hill sprints up, the, up in the field. He's, he's enthusiastic about it. And I think that's wonderful to see. Do you think that the, the word that gets bandied around the whole time is legacy? I mean, it's a ridiculous word because mm. it comes, it means that nothing really until. Do you think there will be an effect on British society of that Olympics in London? Well, lots of the things I think we'll, we'll have a definite legacy for. I mean, I think the world's attitude towards Great Britain is, is, is completely changed. I think now they look at us in a, in a far more pleasant way. Uh, so, yes, I think it, we, we've had a, a if that's legacy true, there. And I, I don't know how you measure that, but if that's true, then the amount of money we paid for it is, is cheap. If that was true, then it'd be a cheap uh, investment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. ultimately, I, I do believe that will be the case. The environment changed completely over the east side of, of London, yep. which will change the temperament of the, the it's people It's very hard there. to explain to people who weren't in London. I, mean, mm. I lived right on the edge of the Olympic Park for many, many years in a place called Maryland, and that part where the park is now. And if you haven't been to it, you listen to my voice, and you just come down to London for a day, get, get one of the fast trains from King's Cross to Stratford, because it is a very beautiful thing Absolutely. in and of itself. But also, it was a swamp, a yeah. marsh. It looked like the sort of place I said to you the other day when we were talking about yeah. this. Sort of place if you wanted to leave a murdered body, that's where you'd go because <laughs> there's no there's no one ever went there. And so it really has transformed, it's transformed the city. That. And yeah. it will transform people's attitudes as well, which is which, which is great. And never mind when you see great sporting success, of course that in itself inspires young people to be sportsmen and women alike. Well that that's the long term project and I'm touching wood hoping that it that it's true. <laughs> okay, Colin, well, you've had nearly two hours talking about yourself and um, now I think we must try and get to the truth about you and your character. Um, Jamie Balch, of course, is a world gold and silver medalist um, sprinter himself and a very, very good friend of yours and uh, over the years. And he joins the line now. Hello, Jamie. Hello, how are you? You OK? Very, very good indeed. I'm nervous, Jamie. Yeah, Colin Jackson, he's, he's, very much, he's very much enjoyed 90 minutes of telling me how great he is and then your name got mentioned and suddenly there was a narrowing of his eyes. <laughs> I totally understand why Colin does things now. I know a lot on Colin. And Good man. Lot. That's why you're here. That's why you're here, Jamie. I mean, you're, you're well, like, go on. Yeah, yeah, like I say, you know, last year we were on Question of Sport Live in front of 4,000 people and he totally embarrassed me and I was just so gutted that he got me. I've been thinking of all day, all day how I can stitch him up, but I'm not as evil as Colin. I'm not no, as evil nobody as Colin. Nobody is. So. Nobody is. <laughs> Jay, Jamie, you're a few years younger than, than, than Colin and of course you came to be friend and training a partner and all the rest of it. Was he someone you uh, originally aspired to and looked up to? Yeah, well, it was amazing to, um, you know, get looked after Colin, you know, when I was, uh, I've known Colin since I was about 12 years old, and, you know, seeing him, I think he's about 20 years older than me. So <laughs> <Yeah>. to <see> him... <laughs> 22. <laughs> yeah, to see Colin, you know, honestly, was to see Colin, you know, as a kid and, and, you know, know him growing up, and then for him to then become my coach in 1996, 1995, 1996, was just, uh, you know, amazing for me. And, uh, yeah, we had some fun times over there in Tampa, in America with which he used to have a house set and uh, we had some great times there. Without 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 accusing of being uh, him of being Chris Akabusi, he's all he's very often got a big smile on his face. Is that what he's like away from the cameras and the microphones, Jamie? 
Oh, he can be very serious. Colin can be a very serious character. Okay. Yes, no, very serious. He can be very harsh as well, but, but fair. Oh, I'm glad you said fair at the end of it, because yeah. otherwise I'd set you another schedule. <laughs> and uh, I see him now, of course, and he's bringing us the, the benefit of his knowledge uh, on a TV screen. I sometimes wonder um, whether he might be better directed coaching young athletes, because clearly there's an awful lot of knowledge and experience in that mind and in that body. What's your feeling, Jamie? Uh, yeah, I don't know about that one, but uh, yeah, he's um, no Colin. You know, Colin's one of these people who's quite irritating because he's just bloody good at everything. You know, he's one of those people who he can, you know, he can coach, he can do the TV, he can do the radio, he can do you know everything perfectly, and uh, it, it does get a little bit irritating now and then. But the one thing he can't do is jog very far. He's useless at jogging. And, and we also hear he's a terrible swimmer, so we're starting to get down to it now. And, oh, it, and, oh. and Jamie, your hair was always much better, wasn't it? Oh, definitely. Let me talk to you about some swimming now, which was really... Go on, then. You, now you've got me, you've got me a story here. We were on Superstars about six, seven years ago, and um, I knew in Tampa, in Florida, Colin was a useless swimmer, yeah, because I used to see him in his swimming pool and whatnot. Uh, Next thing you know, he's doing superstars live on TV, and mm-hmm. um, I, I, it was rumoured that Mark Foster had been coaching him, and I thought, ooh, okay, Mark Foster, he's, if he's going to go on TV, he's bound to be good. Big he, improvement, he died, yeah. Yeah, he dives into the swimming pool with an Olympic dive. It was amazing. You know, he even butt as he was like entering the pool, and he did. You know that thing when you know the proper real swimmers do that dolphin kick. Yeah, yeah, about, very good. Yeah. But, well, usually they'll do it for four or five kicks. Colin did it for the whole of the 25-metre pool. <laughs> and the, the classic moment, he did a tumble to him, but we didn't realise is everyone had finished. Right? <laughs> and I'll never, I'll never forget, when Colin gets out of the pool, he can laugh badly, right? He gets out of the pool and the cameraman says, Colin, can we get you diving again? Because that's the only bit we saw you get in. <laughs> 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 well, Jamie, th- thank you for reminding us that he's not Superman after all. No. And thank you very much for joining us here. And he'll say, he'll say thanks if he can stop laughing. <laughs> oh, cheers, buddy. <laughs> That's Jamie Balch, um, of course, a, four, a great four, oh, a 400 meter runner in his own right, uh, bringing oh. us to almost to the very end of what has been both an informative and tremendously entertaining edition of My Sporting Life. Colin, you're still um, a very young man, 45 years of age. 46 now. 46 years of age. Yeah. Um, very fit still. You look like you could run pretty happily if you wanted to. Um, though one never knows about the knees and the hips. Um, long way to go yet, I hope, in the life of Colin Jackson. What, mm. are, what are your own hopes for the future? What do you see yourself doing and what do you hope for, for things to happen do around you? Do you know what? I've just kind of set up a um, new event called Go Dad Run, which is trying to get guys to think about their health. Right. So I came to that stage in my life where you know you were super fit when you were on and now you come to that period when you think, well, actually, I'm not as fit as I think I could be. So I've kind of set up this it's whole... It's called Go Dad Run. Go Dad Run. Yeah. yeah, Go Dad Run. And what I want guys to do is to go out there and run and compete. And when they're running, it's just to think why they're doing it. So I want them to be inspired and make sure that they go out there and get a proper health check. Because what's important to me is that men should talk about their health issues as women talk about their health issues. Because it could save our life. It could keep us on this planet for 10 years. It is life. extraordinarily difficult to get chaps oh, to engage about that sort of thing. It isn't is really it? difficult. Yeah. And that's why we want to try and make it as normalised as we possibly can. So the more events that are going on generally about that and 
we can get the women in our lives to really start steering us and pushing I us. I take it as a GoDad uh, run, uh, go go dad run. Run. Mm. .com, I'm guessing. Oh, .co.uk. Okay, dot I'm co. British, so I'm yeah, go.uk. Okay, cool. <laughs> and what about personally, Colin? What do you hope for yourself? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just about staying alive, staying healthy, enjoying life, um, motivated, inspiring as many people as I possibly can. Um, and yeah, just just ultimately stay good. That's what I want to be. I'm watching your sister on Casualty in the year t- uh, t- 2035. Uh, do you know what? It's lucky there's always DVDs. Girls okay. get the box set. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly. Thanks for listening. And make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast, and Spotify for more top Talk Sport content. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.